0: Every health system leader has executive management challenges facing their organization. This show supports leaders in addressing those challenges with cutting-edge information, leading strategies, and sharing best practices. Listen in and gain keen insight as industry leaders share their stories. The Baldridge Foundation
1: welcomes you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello and welcome to another Leadership Dialogue podcast brought to you by the Baldridge Foundation, in collaboration with our sponsor, About Healthcare. I'm Roger Spulman, your host for today's discussion, and it's going to be a great one. Uh, if you're a regular listener, you know my colleagues, Ben Sawyer and Dr. Darren Versillo from About Healthcare. Darren is the co-founder of About Healthcare, and Ben is the vice president of market development. Uh, We have today a good friend of mine, Dan Beckham. J. Daniel Beckham, as a matter of fact, and he is the founder and president of the Beckham Company. And and I've known Dan for many years and really appreciated his wisdom. He's a healthcare strategist, consultant. He's helped me in uh, healthcare systems I've worked with over the years, and he has worked with all the major health systems across the country. He's a brilliant researcher and writer, and I just recently got a copy of his most recent monograph or paper. I guess it's a, a long article or a short book, one of the two, but it's it's brilliant, and it's about healthcare on fire. It's very current, and it's a chronicle about COVID, and you're going to want a copy of this, and we'll make sure that you have that available to you, but let's get right to it and talk about... Uh, some important topics that you as healthcare leaders can take and implement in your organization, not be victims, but actually implement some of these things and get around and be trendsetters in this uh, crazy time that we're in. So again, Dan Beckham, welcome to Leader Dialogue. We're so glad that you take are taking time to talk with us today.
2: Well, I, I really appreciate the opportunity, Roger, and the opportunity to,
1: to talk to you again and uh, the rest of the team there. Thanks, Dan. We have got so much that we could talk about in your monograph here. We want to focus on some areas. First of all, you know, the the whole world is talking about how healthcare is in trouble. There are some financial issues that healthcare is dealing with. There's definitely a lot of uh, workforce issues that have been created by COVID. And leadership has to deal with this and figure out how to staff properly and how to manage Attitudes and engagement of their workforce, but you know, healthcare is not new to change. Change has been with us forever. But in your monograph, you said something that I found very interesting, and you said change has changed. And could you talk a little bit about what you mean by that?
2: Sure. Let let me start with a metaphor, and that's often been used to describe you know how change overcomes organizations, and it, it involves a boiled frog. And the suggestion has been that if you take a, a frog and put it into a, a, a pot of cold water and then put that pot uh, on the stove and then gradually turn the heat up, you know, the frog's not going to try to jump out of there. It's going to roll over on its back and relax. But eventually, of course, you end up with cooked frog. And people used to say that that's the way change overcomes organizations. But I think change has changed and a better metaphor is to think about taking that frog and putting it into an open casserole dish turning the microwave on to high shoving that dish into the <laughs> microwave and then letting it run you know for 4 or 5 minutes organizations mm-hmm. today are much more likely to explode and splatter than they are to just kind of roll over and die so i think you know change uh, has changed much more unpredictable it's moving faster you know, we used to think, I think, you know, that we, we live in a world of tidy bell-shaped curves where even complex env- and events, you know, surrender to, to, uh, to data-rich uh, forecasts. But I think we really are living in a world that Nassim Taleb describes as extremist hand. You know, it's a world beyond prediction where devastating surprises occur with, with growing frequency. And, of course, you know, he calls those black swans, you know, examples. You know, include you know probably the the Great Depression, and certainly 9/11. You know, the dot com bubble, Chernobyl, and 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 COVID. You know, fits into that. So you know, as I mentioned, I mean, change is, is moving a lot faster, and and with a much lower level of predictability. I mean, pandemics used to to, to be a lot slower. You know, the 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 Black Death got to Sicily in 1347. It took it two years to move across France and then another year to get to to Russia. And of course with COVID, it was worldwide in about three months. You know, that that what's driving uh, the change and change uh, is an explosion uh, in information and connections. And that's occurred mostly in the last half century. Both of those things, information and connections are are interrelated. Uh, There's a growing flood of information. I think we all experience that. Uh, that's giving rise to more connections. More connections are giving rise to more information. And, you know, it kind of goes around in a cycle that way. So, you know, those two things, information and connection, explosion and both of those things, I would suggest, you know, creating a a volatile stew of uh, transformative uh, change. Some of that change, you know, is a force for good, obviously. In some instances, it's, it's a source of rapidly uh, widening waves of of destruction.
1: I want to, I want to just stop and talk about the forces sure. for good, because, you know, as I said earlier, there's a, not too many people are talking about that. And, you know, and I think, you know, Darren, Dr. Versillo, you know, you're not only the co-founder of About Healthcare, but you're also a hospitalist. You're Correct. practicing in Salt Lake City area. And, you know, I, I'm I'm old enough to remember when hospitals weren't a thing, and uh, and you're also Ben just told me earlier that you're a nocturnist, so I'm not sure when you sleep. But but you know, <laughs> but I I think what what Dan was just talking about, you know, information and connections have allowed for new forms of uh, providers in healthcare, and could you just talk a little bit about that and how you know, what you do on a daily basis and and how this whole notion of of uh, information and connections allows you to do what you do. Certainly.
0: Dan, thank you for that, that description and lead in that you gave. Actually I, w- oh, I can't wanna I wanna share
1: that frog Adam in the commercial yeah,
0: <laughs> <of> <laughs> The same image is floating. You know, I actually have my own analogy, but it's not gonna live up to boiling frogs or, or the Black Death, but um, you know, it, it's interesting. I was uh, went down to San Diego uh, a week ago to see my son in the soccer tournament. And as we were la- landing at Long Beach Harbor, or, I'm sorry, Long Beach uh, Airport, we flew over the harbor, and there were literally hundreds of those big cargo ships parked out on the, uh, mm. the harbor there. And my wife points down and she says, oh, hey, look, there's our bedroom furniture down there. <laughs> and uh, so uh, just yesterday, I was in church and turned to a guy behind me who I know who had recently renovated his house and asked him how, how the whole thing went. This has been a two-year-long project for him because of the, the pandemic. And he says, it's almost done, except for the countertops, which just were delivered off of a cargo ship from Long Beach Harbor. Mm. And I said, were you ever tempted just to go rent a boat, jump out there and go knock on the side of the ship and say, hey, can you give me my my countertops. This is what I've seen, in at least in my practice, and of course, in, in the work that we do across the country with hospitals that are struggling with the rate of change and, and adapting to it. So many different things have changed simultaneously. Before, if you were trying to get your countertops done and somebody couldn't deliver, you'd just go find another vendor and say, hey, can you give me what I need and get that delivered to you and get, you know, get your problem taken care of? And I'm seeing the same thing in The world of of healthcare is that change has always happened but when change hit you you would turn to alternative resources to to adapt and there just aren't a whole lot of those same resources that are available available so the world is having to become very very much more flexible and adaptable and to your question with regard to uh, what's being tapped into and the information that's being used I'd say, you know, it's not only a network of information, but it's a network of available resources across much, much broader areas. So as a nocturnist, as a hospitalist at night, which, by the way, is, you know, when we're taping these things during the day, I look forward to being being at the hospital in the evening, sitting in an ER at two o'clock in the morning when a transfer has to happen from that ER because there are no beds available in our hospital. And then we start looking around at the 10 or 12 hospitals in what we would consider to be the normal area that we would send a patient to if we didn't have capacity, which, by the way, didn't used to happen very often, and now Mm -hmm. is a daily and nightly occurrence. We're transferring people 500 miles away to find an ICU bed. So you talk about the network of information that needs to be present of understanding where your next move is, because... You don't have enough nurses in your hospital to staff more than 50 to 60 percent of your beds, and nobody else does either. And again, what was the previous resource we would turn to? Well, we go to staffing pools, but those are all tapped out. And so change has changed. I absolutely agree with Dan. It has hit us like a ton of bricks and a freight train coming at us at 300 miles an hour, and yet where we normally would have adapted and turned to a pool of resources that were ready and willing to perhaps even at a higher cost, resolve those situations for us. Those aren't available. So we're having to get real creative. And that's driving, I believe, some very important and very valuable change for the future to connect organizations across traditional boundaries, breaking open silos and getting people to think about the better their better capabilities collectively for patients and working together.
1: Thanks, Darren. I want to help us strike this balance between, you know, and I'm not a huge fan of COVID, obviously, or plagues, but, you know, there are good things that come out of situations like this. We're forced to adapt, and you have a choice. You're either going to adapt and get better, or you're going to be a victim and suffer and maybe go out of business, which many businesses have done. But healthcare, you know, hospitals, they do go out of business, but it's a long, slow, ugly death, and and systems change over time. But, you know, we don't have many options. You know, our health systems have to serve our patients and our community. And we are forced to do it in different ways and more creative ways. And, And this has accelerated. COVID has accelerated the adaptation of new ways of doing things. And it's been kind of exciting, I think, because prior to this, it was difficult, really difficult to convince providers and some consumers that telemedicine was a viable thing. And of course, that's completely changed, hasn't it? it let's, let's again talk about, let's strike this balance between the pluses and minuses from, from COVID and from this pandemic. And, and Dan, back to you, you talk in your paper about the status quo has completely changed for healthcare and that healthcare has been fragmented and broken in terms of, you know, Darren, Darren talked about caregivers. We don't have enough caregivers, so we've had to do things differently. There's a lack of trust between medicine and management. So how do we deal with that? How do we approach that and, and really focus on that very important resource, the employee?
2: I'd like to to first empathize with with Darren and and his countertops. In in a way, I think, you know, supply chain is an unfortunate metaphor because it obviously brings to mind a chain and you've got a chain is comprised of links. And so if you end up with one broken uh, link in the chain, uh, obviously everything downstream is is, going to end up compromised. Really a better metaphor for supply uh, is a network, you know, and, and, you know, networks are comprised of nodes. They've tended to be, you know, resilient because there's a lot of redundancy built into networks, just naturally built into a network. But what COVID has done is it's really even overwhelmed, you know, the supply, you know, network. Darren talked about, you know, defaulting to to other options uh, and alternatives. And and Roger, you, you referred to that as well. But, again, I mean, you look at the backup in Long Beach, you say, well, I'll just bring it in through San Francisco. Well, guess what? You know, there's 20 container ships stacked up in San Francisco. And you say, well, I'll bring it in through Savannah. Well, there's 15 container ships stacked up, you know, in Savannah. And and then, you know, you've got all the backups associated with, okay, what happens, you know, once once you offload at, at, at the port? You know, there's nobody there to do that work, first of all. You know, the truckers are not necessarily available or the trains are not available.
1: I've heard uh, that there's so, 80,000 trucking truck driver jobs that are unfilled right now. 80,000. So it's not just the backup in the harbor. It's where do you put this stuff?
2: But yeah, my my wonderful administrative assistant, her her son, you know, went to University of Florida, got a degree, you know, in, in, in art. The guy's a very accomplished artist and photographer. What is he doing now? Uh, he's learning to drive semi-trucks. You know, I mean, he's looked at the world, I think, probably very pragmatically and said, okay, where are the opportunities? And, you know, there are, you know, I think some, you know, outstanding, you know, opportunities there. But obviously that, that all leads to to further fragmentation and, and challenges. You know, I, I think, you know, the question to some extent is, okay, you know, what do leaders do faced with yeah. with this kind of change and these kinds of challenges? And, and I'd suggest, you know, that that one of the things that's important is to focus on the controllables. You know, there's so much that's out of control. You know, you, you can be, be like Don Quixote and, and, and flail at the uh, windmills as much as you want. You're not going to control some of this. Norman McLean wrote, you know, a wonderful book, "A River Runs Through It," but he also wrote "Young Men in Fire," and it's a story of the 1949 fire in Man Gulch in Western Montana that killed 13 smokejumpers. McLean identified Five things that set the stage for for that disaster, and three of those were beyond human control. Uh, they were facing very steep terrain, uh, and in a way that encouraged the flow of the fire up the side of the mountain, and made it and increased the speed of spread to the point that the firefighters couldn't outrun it. Uh, the second thing that was was uh, a real issue was was fuel for the fire. Uh, they were in, in knee-high flammable cheatgrass and part of that problem there was that they had been there had been efforts uh, to preserve the cheatgrass and not cut it, you know. So uh, it was very flammable. The third was the weather; it was hot, it was dry, uh, it was windy. But two of the two of the factors were controllable. One was communication, but, but the radio was destroyed, you know, when it was parachuted uh, down. Compounding that was that the crew spread out, uh, so they were lost contact with each other. And the fifth, and i I'd suggest, you know, of the two controllables, probably uh, the most important, you know, with leadership. Uh, the foreman uh, didn't know his men. He wasn't able, didn't have the time, hadn't had the opportunity to build trust and rapport with those guys. And so, you know, as the fire progressed, you know, he, he set a fire around himself. And and, and as, as his crew ran past him, he told them to lay down in the circle with him. Well, they didn't know him. They didn't trust him. They kept running, and they died. You know, and I think so. I think you know, a, a key in you know, face with you know this kind of change is you know how do we focus you know particularly leaders you know on the controllables, and make sure that you know we've got the folks you know organizations you know focused at those things.
1: I remember that story from a few years ago, and that really is a, that's a great reminder. You know, it's easy to kind of circle the porcelain here and, and wring our hands and say, woe is me. And and I think, it seems to me, Ben and Darren, I don't know if you've seen this in, in your experiences and, you know, talking with health systems, but there was a period of time where people just are in shock and bouncing from one crisis to the next, and they haven't had the luxury of time to be objective about it and to say, what should we do next? I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about you know, what you've seen and if, if that's absolutely the case.
3: Yeah. So Roger, this is Ben. I, I think Dan's example is a good one in that we've known for a long time that in processes, there's about 40% waste, right? And And that's an opportunity to take that kind of waste out to create margin. So right now in the COVID crisis, staffing is in flux. There's a lot of contract labor. There's no redundancy, right, in in labor, and people are stressed by poor operational systems and processes. So one of the things that leaders can look at is if we have that problem, how can we take the essential ingredients, right? In other words, we have a process, can we make that more efficient? Can we use technology to enable that? Can we integrate data and analytics into that so that, to Dan's point about communication, everyone that's involved in that process has much quicker uh, clarification as to what's going on? And then is there, in this kind of quote-unquote gig economy, uh, is there a way to be able to concentrate resources in areas of high demand and expertise, like, for example, transfer centers or, you know, ICUs or ORs or whatever the case may be, where you have those four threads combined, right? You have process optimization with technology enablement, data and analytics, and people that really know how to do that to help essentially come in and augment what the hospital is trying to do so you're creating some level of capacity. We haven't necessarily had to look at that so intensely prior because we had some redundancy, kind of that those nodes of, in, in the network that Dan was talking about, where you had redundancy, but redundancy is kind of gone. Like <laughs> you have to look at it in a different way and say, where, where can we leverage opportunities to build margin back in so that people are not so stressed in their operational systems and processes, and we take full advantage of good partnerships where their expertise and capability can augment what we do?
1: That's great. I I neglected to mention that Ben is a black belt and he's a process improvement ninja. So spoken like a true black belt. So thank you, Ben, for that reminder. You know, those are some things that we can control and we must control. We don't have the luxury of ignoring it or saying, hey, it'd be nice if we had time to improve our processes. No, it's a requirement. You, you, You can't not do it. It can't ignore it. So Yeah. Thanks for that. Hey, in the, in the remaining time we have left, and it seems to me like this conversation will end prematurely if we don't say that maybe next time we can, uh, maybe we can do this again, Dan, if you're available, we can, you know, speak some more with you about your paper and some of the insights that you've gleaned. But, but in in the remaining minutes that we have, and I do want to wrap up, save me a couple of minutes to wrap up, but one of the things that you talk about and, and we owe it to our listeners what does the future look like from your perspective? You mentioned in the paper that delivery is going from a sort of a concentrated healthcare is moving from concentrated to distributed. So tell us about that.
2: You know, historically, you know, healthcare has been you know delivered on hospital uh, campuses, and you know what's happening now is that and you know, I think COVID is a, certainly a catalyst for this, is there's been an ex- explosion of new competitors. You know, folks. Who are able, uh, because of technology, to a great extent, able to deliver uh, care remotely. Physician specialists, in, in particular, uh, specialty physicians, are consolidating. I mean, most of the consolidation that took place, you know, with physicians initially was with primary care physicians, and it was uh, funded, you know, by hospitals. So they ended up owning, you know, probably the preponderance of, of primary care physician practices in the country that left the specialists kind of out in the cold. And so they're, they're they're consolidating now. And you've got orthopedic groups in the South that are, you know, 150 orthopods. These aren't just loose networks. These are, you know, consolidated organizations. So, you know, the care is being, and, and those folks are getting capital. The, the outside investors, you know, none of them are buying hospitals. The only people who are buying hospitals today are the hospitals. And and that would send up a red flag for folks, you know, uh, that, that, You know, the only folks in the market to buy a hospital is another hospital. You know, why are the venture capitalists interested in this? So they're pumping money, you know, towards, you know, these new consolidated specialty groups, big orthopedic groups, big cardiology groups. And it used to be that those groups had to turn to the hospital for capital. That's not the case anymore. You know, Stryker installed 100 robots in inventory surgery centers in the last quarter of 2020, and they helped fund that installation. You know, the physicians didn't have to turn to hospitals for, uh, for for capital. So, you know, I think, you know, that's part of this whole notion of going from concentrated to distributed. And obviously, then the Amazons of the world are further distributing things and kind of, you know, positioning themselves at, at the interface between, you know, buyers and sellers and facilitating that whole process and adding value there.
1: Th- those are great insights. And we have to pay attention to these things. And any system that's not paying attention to it and seeing themselves as part of, part of a system, you, you talk about in your paper, these mega brand assemblers, you know, any system that views themselves in anything other than trying to assemble all of these ways of continuing to meet the needs of their patients and their populations without being a little bit innovative and creative, I see this as a real a danger and a risk to healthcare long-term success if we kind of push back on innovation. We have to embrace innovation and openness to new things. So, well, listen, Dan, thank you. We've got so much more that we could be talking about. And, uh, and hopefully we can do this again very soon in, uh, and talk more about your piece. It's called Healthcare on Fire, a COVID Chronicle by J. Daniel Beckham. And you can get it, you can get a copy of that, download it from the Leader Dialogue website. And, uh, and I hope you do. I look at this and I think, man, if I were still running a health system, I would use this as the basis of a retreat, either for my board, my leadership team, somebody because it raises so many great questions and has so many great observations about what we're seeing around us, so you can uh, you can download that. Hope you will. Hey Ben, in the remaining two minutes that we have, can you talk about? We've got some webinars coming up. Can you talk about those? The
3: podcasts, as all the listeners know, really give a limited time frame to discuss these. So we are kicking off a three-part webinar series. Uh, together starting December 14th. And we're going to be talking about burnout in that one, uh, which ties very closely to what we've been talking about today. And then in January, we're going to be talking about what's next, which again, very much is launching from this kind of a conversation. And then in February, the topic will be operating as one or systemness. And these, these three topics came out of surveys that we've done with executives in collaboration with the Health Management Academy. And those two items, workforce stresses and operating as one were the, t- the top trending topics. So that's what's coming up next.
1: Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much, Ben. Listen, you, you've been listening in on our conversation with, with Dan Beckham, Healthcare on Fire, a COVID Chronicle. And uh, always as usual, we've got great insights and questions from Darren Versillo and Ben Sawyer thank you so much for joining us. Please go to our website and uh, and get a hold of these resources. Find out about the webinars that Ben was talking about. And we always always welcome your comments and your recommendations of this podcast. We want to help you be better leaders and get ahead of some of these problems. That's it for us for today. Have a great day. We'll talk to you later.